Greetings, everyone. It's May 13th. You may know that the Bible has sold more copies than any other book in the history of printing. It remains the world's bestseller today. This has been so consistent a fact that you don't find it on many bestseller lists today as it is generally assumed. Haven't you always thought that one day you might try to read it? My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and this is the one-year Bible tour guide in which we read through the Bible in a year with a short summary after each reading to ensure that you don't miss the main points. You can read along with us and find the daily portions arranged by date in the many editions of the one-year Bible, or you can go to the website oneyearbibleonline.com. This year we are reading from the English Standard Version. We're currently in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and reading about Israel's choice of a king. Yesterday we read about the installation of King Saul of the tribe of Benjamin as the first king of Israel. The people made an idol of leadership. Anything or anyone who takes the place of God is an idol. Human leadership is important, but it is never to take the place of the leadership of God. The people chose Saul, who stood a head taller than his peers. However, God does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. Today we're introduced to Saul's son, Jonathan. He will figure in the historical narrative as someone who is courageous and true. Stay with us in today's podcast, and we will be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, how Jesus fulfills the prophecies in the Old Testament, and how also he will pour out the promised Holy Spirit when he completes the work of his atoning sacrifice and is glorified at the right hand of God the Father. Now let's go to 1 Samuel, chapter 14, where we will begin to read from verse 1. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison, on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about six hundred men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side, and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sene. The one crag rose on the north in the front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed them after him. 
and that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about twenty men within as if it were a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright, because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found! For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. 
Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them, and he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Machishua, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the younger is Michal, and the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz, and the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul, and when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Let's take a moment to reflect upon what we just read. Saul's son, Jonathan, demonstrates courage and faith. He's not intimidated by the size of the enemy's armor nor the obstacles of cliffs. All he needs is a clear word from the Lord about a promised victory. He gives his loyal armor-bearer precise instruction. Jonathan demonstrates commendable leadership qualities. He has waited upon the Lord and inquired of him enough to articulate a strategy. Let the enemy see us, and if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. God acts on Jonathan's behalf. He could have sung the words that the psalmist would write in the future found in Psalm 60, verse 12, and Psalm 108, verse 13, which we read yesterday, Through God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. In contrast, Saul walks by sight. He sees the Philistine army moving out in all directions, unaware that they are scattering due to the victory that God gave his son, Jonathan. Saul acts impulsively. He calls for the priest, Ahijah, to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Whether he intended to use the ark as a good luck charm or to make honest inquiry of the Lord, we don't know. But we do know that Saul neither receives the ark nor makes inquiry of the Lord. He is distracted in the middle of his conversation with the priest by the increasing volume of battle sounds. He can hear the clanging of the iron weapons, not knowing the cause. Hebrews, who had previously joined the Philistine armies, now defected and joined the Israeli side. 
knowing well that the Lord was responsible for giving Jonathan victory that day. Saul makes a foolish oath. He intends to give his army the incentive to defeat the Philistines in battle quickly, forbidding his army to eat until their victory was established. Anyone who dared to violate the king's command would be cursed and must die, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24. His son Jonathan does not hear the command and unwittingly eats from a honeycomb. Saul's army has been weakened due to their lack of nourishment, and they're too tired to fight well. They were so hungry that when the time came to eat, they disregarded the law of God and ate meat that still contained blood. Jonathan is not afraid to expose the faults in his father's policies. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes have brightened because I have tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 29-30 through 30. Saul's vow was a hindrance rather than a help to his people gaining victory. They fell short of defeating the enemy and sinned against the Lord by eating meat that had blood in it. Jonathan would have been killed for violating his father's command were it not for the pleading of Jonathan's fellow soldiers who recognized that Jonathan was the real war hero in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 45. God never demands that people make oaths but he expects us to be people who think things through carefully and keep our word. In general, if we make a vow, we should keep it. However, the Bible does record incidents when people make foolish vows that require proper extrication. Leviticus chapter 5 verses 4 through 13 explains that. Saul continues to assume his role as king, conscripting men into his service and waging war with the Philistines. We are introduced to more of Saul's family members at the end of our reading. His wife is named Ahinoam. His son Jonathan has brothers, Ishvi and Malkishua. His two daughters are Merab and Michal, the latter of which will one day become the first wife of King David. The commander of Saul's army is his nephew, Abner, son of Saul's uncle, Ner. Now let's go to today's New Testament reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, beginning with verse 30. We'll read through to verse 53. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Did he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? 
Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They each went to his own house. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament Gospel of John. Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles in submission to the timetable of his Father in heaven, not his half-brothers on earth. As Jesus predicted, the religious leaders attempt to seize him. He escapes their murderous grasp because his time had not yet come. We learn of those in the crowd who put their faith in Christ. In effect, they ask, who could top this man in qualifying to be the Messiah? John chapter 7, verse 31. Jesus tells the Pharisees that he is with them for only a short time, and then he will go to the one who sent him, referring to his post-resurrection ascension to his father. They, being naturally minded, surmise that he is speaking of moving on to teach somewhere else, perhaps to the Greeks. They did not understand that as God incarnate, the time of his visitation would soon end, and he would return to his Father in heaven. The only way to find Jesus and be with him for eternity is to believe in him. Each day in the week-long celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, water in a golden vessel would be taken ceremonially from the Pool of Siloam and poured out in the temple. On the last day, the great day of the feast, many scholars believe that Jesus spoke these words as the water was being poured out on the altar. In John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John, writing later with the privilege of hindsight, adds, But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some in the crowd recognized that Jesus was the prophet, the one whom Moses foretold would be the fulfillment of all that was promised in the law, God's spokesperson, the absolute authority on the law. In the Old Testament, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. And then the Lord God himself speaks in verses 18 and 19 of Deuteronomy 18, saying, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Others recognized him as the fulfillment of what the prophets foretold of the Messiah in John chapter 7, verse 41. Perhaps they recognized in Jesus' words that he was claiming to be the fulfillment of all that the temple signified, that he would be providing the work that was necessary for sinners to be put in the right before God, justly forgiven, cleansed, adopted, and made alive through the ministry of his life. In this scene, 
Jesus is claiming to be the source of the living water coming from the altar, as prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 47. His person and his work on the altar of the cross will make it possible for the life-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit in regeneration to flow through the hearts of believers. Some protested, thinking that he was not qualified to be the promised son of David. They mistakenly thought that because he was called Jesus of Nazareth, he was from Galilee not realizing that he was born in Bethlehem as the Messianic prophecies demanded, even though he was raised in Nazareth of Galilee. The temple guards who were deployed to arrest him returned to the Pharisees empty-handed because they also were impressed by Jesus' unique ministry. The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. John chapter 7, verse 46. The Pharisees reprimand the temple guards for joining with the crowd, implying that they, the religious, academic elite, knew better than to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. However, Nicodemus, one of the most renowned teachers in Israel, did not agree with the other Pharisees, pointing out that they were condemning him without giving him a fair hearing. Once again, the Pharisees, who claimed to be the religious experts, the intelligentsia of the day, exposed both their ignorance and prejudice by saying, a prophet does not come out of Galilee, in John chapter 7, verse 52. In fact, five of their prophets did come from Galilee, Jonah, Nahum, Hosea, and the big-name prophets Elijah and Elisha. They presume that they have a monopoly on the truth, and just as many were familiar with the prejudicial adage, can anything good come out of Nazareth, they imagined that the Messiah would conform to their standards rather than the criterion of scriptures for the scriptures spoke of the Messiah making Galilee glorious. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 109, verses 1 through 31. Help me, O Lord my God. A psalm to the choir master, a psalm of David, Psalm 109. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the broken-hearted to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, 
may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng. For He stands at the right hand of the needy one to save Him from those who condemn His soul to death. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion from the book of Psalms. This is the psalm written by one who calls himself a man of prayer. When reading this psalm, the first verses, that is verses 1 through 4, make us think of the prayer life of Jesus Christ. Whoever this man is, be it King David or another, he had enemies who appeared to be pious and friendly, but were not. Verses 6 through 20 make us think of Jesus' enemies, particularly Judas Iscariot. In fact, the leaders of the early church connected verse 8 of this psalm to him in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. This is the last of the imprecatory psalms that we were introduced to in Psalm 5, where the psalmist is calling upon the Lord to uphold justice by punishing the evildoer. The psalmist's enemy appeared religious in verse 7, yet hated him in verses 3 and 5, falsely accused him in verse 2 and 4, and cursed him in verses 17 and 18. All attempts to return good for evil failed in verses 4 and 5. This nemesis showed no mercy but took pleasure in oppressing the needy and the brokenhearted. The psalmist calls upon the Lord to deal well with him for his name's sake. He asks the Lord to deliver him out of the goodness of his love and vindicate his righteous cause in verse 21. He recognizes his own unworthiness, poverty, and his vulnerable heartbroken condition. He is wary of his own wounded spirit in verse 22. The psalmist finishes this psalm affirming his trust in the name of the Lord, his Savior, and Defender. Ultimately, he will save his life from those who condemn him. And now we turn to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. We'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The take-home lesson here is, be willing to receive correction, earn money righteously without greediness, think before you speak, choose words that will enlighten and spread knowledge. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we echo Jonathan's confidence in your great power. Nothing can hinder you from saving, whether by many or by few. 
You are Almighty God, and you have authored a mighty work of salvation. Through you we shall do valiantly. We call upon you continually as our strength, our song, and our salvation. Thank you for the once and for all sacrifice of your Son that secured for us the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We pray that we will be conscious of His enabling power flowing through us and refreshing others today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, that's a wrap of today's reading from the Bible, and we hope that you are encouraged and that you will join us again tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments we'd love to hear from you, you can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. Also, if you want to know any more about the ministries of New Life Community Church, you can go to our website, newlife.org. Registration is continuing for our summer camp, so if you'd like to sign up, if you're between the ages of 8 and 18, interested in developing your talents for our musical theater ministry, and the details are there at the website, you can go to the New Life Fine Arts website, newlifefinearts.org. Well, I hope you've been edified and that you are excited about being a conduit for the flowing Holy Spirit's ministry through you today. May you bring the refreshment of His presence with you wherever you go. So until our next podcast, Shalom. Shalom.